with you there are a couple of things that I would like to make sure that I that I get over that I impress upon you as God has impressed upon me but if you have a weapon this morning I would like to you to go with me to the book of Psalms the hundred and second chapter and I want to share a prophetic word concerning this house concerning your future concerning your destiny this morning in this house Psalms 102 verse 18 I believe that the staff is helping me with the uh, yeah there we go watch this this shall be written for a generation to come and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord watch this I thought God when he wrote Genesis to Revelation he was done writing he's not he's the author and the finisher and right now he's writing a book about you how exciting is that he's not done writing prophetically he declares that this is written this is a logos for a generation not yet birth but a generation to come a prophetic word and this generation that is to come shall be created I thought God was done creating when he created Adam and Eve in the garden and he produced the family and he spoke the worlds into existence and on the seventh day he rested. I thought God was done creating but here we see a promise that God wants to create something in us. God wants to create something for us. There's a passage of scripture where Jesus said, if you need anything, ask in my name. And again, he says, ask in my name and it shall be given you. The actual Greek translation there is, if you need something, ask me. If we don't have it, we'll make it. Aren't you glad that God is in the Burger King business? Aren't you glad that you can have it your way? Aren't you glad that you can tell, tell, you, you can tell all your little challenges, all your idiosyncrasies, and he cares about them? He cares about the birds that when I was 12 with the BB gun, I was good. I shot them out of the tree. And every, 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 death, that, every death that I caused, God knew the death of that bird. And, and it let me get away with it. How cool is that? But he knows that every, every lily that casts its beauty upon the valley, God knows that. There's nothing goes on that God does not know. When you combed your hair today and the 18 hairs that didn't survive, that fell in the brush or fell in the sink, God knew every single one of those hairs that you lost. And Chris, I'm here to tell you, you're in good shape. God doesn't worry about you anymore. You don't have it. Isn't? There are perfect heads that God does make. God is, God, God is in control. The, the past couple of weeks, we've had a lot of fun. And as Pastor Rhonda shared with you, last year we had about 1,800 uh, visits to Facebook podcasts. This year we have 6,000 visits. So I want to welcome our podcast family. We have many that will tie into this day. And Austin is so good to get it on about 1 o'clock. And so as we share what we believe that God's Word has to say, the past couple of weeks, God's been bringing some things to our remembrance. And I, I like especially the word last week that talked about David. David, David to me is a, a hero in the Bible. He's a guy that had mistakes. He wasn't that great of a parent, had some lousy kids, had a lot of stuff go on. But David had the heart of God. And David was not afraid to take on the enemy because while David was taking care of his father's sheep, look at somebody say boring. David perfected the harp and he perfected the sling. He was so good with the harp. He was so good with music. I read an um, uh, interview, uh, Eddie Van Halen. When all the other kids were out doing their thing, when they were playing ball and they were, they were dating and all the things they were doing, he was in his bedroom playing the guitar hours upon hours upon hours. I spent some time with Rick Derringer. Rick Derringer told me that every day he spends at least an hour playing the guitar. If you want to be good at something, you've got to practice. But let me tell you something, you've got to practice correctly. I've learned in my golf game that I do it wrong every time. I have perfected my mistakes. So practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And we see this man after the heart of God. And we left you last week with the attitude that, that he, he confronted the giant. And he told the giant, you come to me with the sword and the spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast to fight. This day I will smite thee. A prophetic, look at that. A prophetic word 
It had not happened yet. This day will I smite thee, and I will take thine head from thee, and I will feed thy carcass to the wild beasts of the earth and the, the birds of the air, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And it came to pass when the giant hasted and ran towards David, then David ran towards the enemy, and he put his hand in his bag. I don't know who sings that song. Papa's got a brand new bag. You got to have a bag. You got to have gifts and talents that you're stirring up. You got to have things that, that nudge you and touch you and impress you and you pursue and you seek out. We spent the past couple hours looking for a book called The Armor Bear because someone feels like he wants to be an armor bear. When God puts something in your heart and spirit, you need to research it. You need to study it. You need to get all the information you can and be the very best at what you can be. The Bible says that when he played that heart, demonic spirits fled. What a powerful anointing. What a, what a young man that was not afraid to study and not afraid to practice even though he was at a minimum wage job. There's not a whole lot of benefits taking care of sheep. But there was a season when a lion roared against the sheep. And the Bible says that David killed the lion. There was a bear that roared against the sheep and David killed the bear. I was this morning going to have a coyote right here, a bobcat right here, and an alligator right here. A lot of times it's not the big things in life that wear us out, but it's the little things. It's the little piddly things that seem to be insignificant. The number one task of the enemy today is to discredit the name of God and to wear the saints out. It's, God, it's the enemy's will to burn you out, wear you out, frustrate you, financially get in a place where you feel like you're in trouble, your marriage is not working, your kids are doing whatever they want to do, and it's so easy to just give up and party. And I'll show you that today in the Word of God. But when David killed, the, he knocked the giant down, the only place he could hit the giant, he knocked the giant down, a lot of us, I believe, spend time fasting and praying that we knock our enemy down, but we don't take him out. See, it's, it's easy sometimes to have something in your life you're praying about, get a breakthrough, but leave a door open. And had David left Goliath alive, Goliath would have come back and ambushed him. And Goliath would have tried to take him out. But the Bible says David didn't have a sword. So David went over and picked up the sword of his enemy. The very thing the enemy intends to use against you, God will let you turn against the enemy and for your credit and your blessing and your favor. It says that Goliath was 13 foot tall. It tells you how much his, his armor weighs. His sword alone weighed as much as his 17-year-old boy. And I'm not going to get off on vitamins. I'm not going to get off on nutrition. I'm not going to get off on facelifts. But I intend to do all that. This is the only body I'll ever have. Hello. And, and the closer I, I approach, I forgot how, am I 57? The closer I approach 58, the more I realize how dangerous life is out there. There are people like Brian and Brad that are driving the streets of our city and they are, they are terrible, horrible drivers. There are, there, are, there are so many chemicals in our food that, 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 that it, could, it, could, it could kill us. I mean, we are in a generation that's in trouble. But the Bible says if you will take care of this body, the Holy Spirit, and I, I'm not going to challenge anybody, but if I were to put these weights on here, that would, that would be about 135 pounds. Few people can take 135 pounds and put it over their head. I'm not sure that I can. But the Bible says this little teenager was in shape. This little teenager was healthy. This little teenager knew that his body was the temple of the Holy Spirit, went over, picked up that sword, and cut the giant's head off. And watch this. When the giant died, the Philistines fled. When the giant died, the Philistines fled. There are things in your life that if you'll deal with one, a domino effect, you'll take out seven or eight. It's like a shotgun. A shotgun's not one bullet, it's several pellets, and if you're good with a shotgun, I was telling the girls yesterday, I was driving the four-wheeler in South Georgia, and I came, up to a, I came up to a feeder, and there are eight hogs around the feeder. And J.I. had an 870 Remington, 12-gauge, had three shots in it. Fired all, I fired all three shots at those eight hogs, killed four. A lot of times, they were close together, so it was not really that, it wasn't really that, that tough of a shot. The point I'm making is that there are pivotal areas in your life that have got you weighed down, have got you wore out, have got you frustrated, and you've prayed so much you feel like it's not going to happen, it's not going to come to pass, so we negotiate. And we'll talk about negotiation in a minute. But when the, when, when the Philistines fled, it says the people of God shouted and pursued the enemy and caught them and began to kill them. 
your breakthrough could be the opening of several other breakthroughs. People are watching your life. I'm telling you, Loretta, people are watching your life. And they're watching the words that come out of your mouth. And they're, they're watching your actions. And sometimes it doesn't seem fair. Sometimes it doesn't seem fair to be put on a, on a, on, in a spotlight or an era that everybody's paying attention. But that's the God on the inside of you. That's that anointing. That's that favor. That's that blessing that's on the side of you. And when you overcome something, it gives somebody else the courage to attempt to overcome it. Jackie and I went to um, Knoxville this week to get some things that he wanted to get. And as, as we were making our rounds, there were two people in a trailer. There were three people in a, in a, in a car lot, uh, his uncle, his aunt. And I told him, I said, Jackie, I said, people are desperately wanting to get off drugs, but they don't believe they can. They've been to rehabs. They've done the detox. They've done everything there is to do. But they know your life. You are a burnout drug addict. You're, you are, you've, wasted, you've wasted a lot of your life. But when you get free and you get clean and you start rebuilding and you start accomplishing things, it gives them hope. It gives them encouragement. And the attitude is, if, God, if Jackie can do it, God doesn't love Jackie any more than he loves me. But Jackie made the effort. Jackie got planted and Jackie stayed consistent. And when God blesses him, it's going to be like a domino effect that many are going to come to Christ because of the testimony of one man your Goliath has got to come down your Goliath has got to fall and here's the point that I want to make when David came back holding the nasty head of that Goliath I don't know if he had it mounted I don't know what the taxidermist did with it but I'm sure he was ugly and when David held up the head of that, of that Goliath and walked through the streets of the city the Bible says all the moms and all, all the wives got on one side of the city and all the handmaidens, all the virgins, all of the, all of the things not yet taking place in the kingdom got on the other side of the city and all the wives and all the moms began to sing and said Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul had killed a lot of people and that was an accurate word. That was a great praise. But the handmaidens on the other side saying David has killed his tens of thousands no he hadn't he killed one but there was a prophetic anointing through that victory see what happens is deep calls the deep and when you get a breakthrough in one area all of a sudden you feel like man if I can handle that I can take on this if I can take on this I can take on that you don't begin by benching 310 pounds when I came to the Lord I weighed 119 pounds free basin cocaine using every drug imaginable any way I can get at my body when I went into the gym that day, I simply went and got the bar. I barely got the bar off the rack. I got the bar on my chest, and I struggled. The bar weighs 45 pounds. I struggled with that bar. It was difficult because I obviously was not out of shape. But three days a week, I went to that gym. Three days a week, I was committed. I was faithful. I began to put 200 grams of protein in my body every day. I began to drive with a gallon of milk between my lap. I went from 119 to 170. And in competition, I bench pressed 305 pounds. How did I do it? Every time we lifted, we added more. Every time we lifted, we did different exercises, wake up different muscles. When you defeat the enemy in one area of your life, there will be a quickening in your spirit. And then you'll realize some of the smaller things see David just didn't deal with a lion and a bear every day there were coyotes trying to get a, a lamb every day there were a bobcat trying to separate a lamb from the flock uh, a few weeks ago for some reason I could not sleep turn the TV on Pastor Rhonda had I was going to have my alligator head right here so I'm saying this Pastor, I shot an alligator a legal alligator you can shoot once one a year and uh the swamp, the swamp people came on. And what is so wild, I've hung out with those guys. I know those guys. I have people in my life. Matter of fact, Josh from South Georgia talks just like them. Josh needs an interpreter. When Josh talks that South Georgian drawl, you got to, first of all, you watch his mouth. And you're thinking, I wish he would hurry up and say what he's going to say. Get it out. Spit it out. Get it out there. And then when he says that there's that South Georgia drawl, I've done that. I put a chicken on a hook. I pulled up a line, only I had a little different weapon to, to take him out with. But you see, it's not always the big things in life that are going to come under attack against you. 
but it's a little it's a little foxes that spoil the vine the little coyote the little bobcat the little alligator but it says if you can take on a lion and you can take on a bear you can take on anything out there that the enemy will try to distract you and hurt you and wound you and I want to I want to encourage you as we look at the handmaiden saying David has killed his tens of thousands that was a prophetic praise that they were speaking that it actually came to pass David had one warrior that in one afternoon he killed a thousand people by himself David had warriors that would take on entire barricades and take out entire armies in one afternoon it was scary the thousands of Philistines that David went on to kill because of that prophetic word so I think of that prophetic word and prophetically, I can speak over my husband who's on drugs away from God. And I can say, Lord, I thank you that I see him in the altars of the church. I see him dancing. I see him praising. I see him worshiping. Young lady, you can pray for your future husband. You can praise God for what he has done. You can praise God for that job, for that increase, for that favor that God gives you. It's a prophetic phrase. And as you begin to declare it, the Bible says there is power in your mouth. If you believe it in your heart and you speak it with your mouth, it probably could come to pass. And aren't you glad that we have that ability to praise and worship God in that fashion? I have some notes. The title today of my, of my thought is, Is There Clout Behind Your Shout? I remember I told a story several years ago of a little boy that sidewalks of California, he was pulling his wagon on the sidewalk and the wheel fell off. He said, darn, put the wheel back on. Pull the, wheel, pull the wagon a little farther, the wheel fell off again. He said, double darn. Well, he's right in front of a church. And the pastor out there watering the roses. And the pastor said, son, let me tell you something. When things go wrong in your life, don't cuss. Don't, don't use by words. Just begin to praise God. Just begin to thank God. When bad things happen, just begin to praise God. And good things will happen. Little boy said, okay, put the wheel back on his wagon, went to pull the wagon. Again, the wheel fell off. The little boy started to say something, saw the pastors watching him, and he said, hallelujah, praise God, thank you, Jesus. All of a sudden, the wheel miraculously jumped back on the wagon. The pastor looked at the wagon, looked at the boy, and said, darn. <laughs> true story, true story. There was a topless bar next to a church. There was a topless bar next to a church. And the church every Sunday had to drive by that bar, had to pull in and see all the stuff going on. So one day the pastor prayed, let's just believe that God's going to burn the bar down to the ground. The next Saturday night, the bar burned to the ground. The bar owner took the church to court and sued them. And on the witness stand, the pastor told the lawyer, we pray, but we really didn't think it would happen. Uh, hello, is there clout behind your shout? Do you have a reason to praise him? Do you have a reason to worship him? What have you done for him lately? The fact that you're alive gives you reason to praise. The fact that you got plenty to eat gives you reason to praise. The fact there's gas in your car gives you reason to praise. The fact that you've got, you've got Maui gems in your glove box is a reason to pray the fact you got five bucks in your wallet is a reason to pray the fact that you didn't marry some idiot is a good reason to praise come on somebody needs to help me in this house there's a prophetic praise and that's I'll, I'll, I'll leave that with that's really all that I want to share in that particular area the apostle Paul warns us don't be a cloud without water don't be one that don't be one that shadow boxes. I have two people in my life. They're both black belts. One's a third degree, one's a sixth degree. And they're the kind of they're the kind of competitors that they don't pull their punches. When they get in the ring and that, and that sensei starts that match, they go after one another. And there are no there are no pull punches. There are no there are no friendly taps. They don't tap out. They go after one another. I think for years, the church has shadow boxed. I think for years, the church has been clouds without water. I think for years, we've represented one thing, but there's no demonstration of godliness. There's no demonstration of power. There's no demonstration of authority. The Bible says when two or three get together, what 
Whatever they ask will happen because of the God that honors the power of agreement and the power of faith and the power of declaration. Moses went to the mountain. Joshua went with him halfway, was gone 40 days. I've shared this before. Documentation that would approve to the world that God really is God and he really is in heaven and he really did everything that he said he did was in two tablets. Pastor David, God himself took his finger and engraved on that tablet the commandments. And nobody has the ability to counterfeit God's signature. Moses has proof to the world that there is a Jehovah. Has proof to the world that there is an Elohim. Has proof to the world there is an El Shaddai. He's got it in his hands. He'd been gone a while. I believe 40 days. The people got restless. The people went to the high priest and said, Moses is gone. He's probably dead. We need something to worship. So the high priest required everyone to give a gift of a gold earring, sons and daughters, moms and dads. They melted all this gold. They made a golden calf. And the Bible says that when the people saw the calf, they did three things. Watch this. They begin to eat. They begin to drink. And they rose to play. I believe that we have a lot of playing Christians in this generation. I believe a lot of people, Christians have a form of godliness, but actually deny the power thereof. I preach what, what Damon said a couple of weeks ago or a couple of Fridays ago. He said, if they were really seekers, you couldn't have a 45-minute service because they, those are going to seek God are going to do whatever it takes to seek Him regardless if they got to stay there all night long. I remember very early in ministry when God began to woo me and I was here and I was wanting... I was wanting my relationship to store, restored to Pastor Rod. If that wasn't going to happen. And God began to call me into a season of fasting and praying. And so I made a commitment to God. And I said, God, I'm going to fast and pray 40 days. And I had my friends drop me off at G Creek. I don't know if you know where Parksville is at, but you go right past. There's a, there's a creek there that dumps into the lake. And I had a tent and I had a Bible and I had several books and I had absolutely no food and I had no water. And the first night it rained so hard it washed out my sleeping bag and my sleeping bag was soaking wet. The second time, the second night, and I have been fishing and hunting that area now for, now for that was 31 years ago. I have never, ever seen a bear, ever. I know they're there, but I've never seen a bear in Polk County or in, or in, or in, in Hawassi or in Parksville. But that second night, a bear came sniffing around my tent. I guess he wasn't very happy because there wasn't anything for him to eat. The third day, I was so, hung so hungry, I thought I was going to die. I left my sleeping bag. I left my tent. I got out on Highway 64. I stuck my thumb out, and a state trooper picked me up. He said, what in the world are you doing? I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you, but will you take me to Parksville Inn because there's a restaurant there, and I intend to eat. I walked, listen, I didn't have a dime in my pocket. I called some friends from, I called some friends from college there. I said, listen, you need to come pick me up and you need to bring some money. You need to bring a lot of money. I ate two steaks, two baked potatoes. And, and, and later I, I looked back at that thinking, yeah, I was really spiritual. I was going to fast 40 days and I think I made it three. I don't know. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but I have a friend. He happens to be Pastor Rhonda's godfather that I know of five times in his life. He's gone on a 40-day fast. 83 years old, Dr. Lowry just came off a four-day fast. But when Dr. Lowry stands up and begins to share and minister, miracles start taking place. There's something that happens when you seek him with all your heart because if you really seek him, you will find him. He will show up. He will turn out. The people got bored. Moses is gone. We, we think he's dead. We don't know what's going on. So they called a time to party. And Exodus 32, two times Moses intercedes for the people. And God decides not to blot the people out. He decides not to destroy the people. But when they begin to part and they begin to celebrate, they're coming down from the mountain. You've got to remember, Moses has been in the glory of God for 40 days. Joshua wasn't with Moses, but he wasn't with the people. He was somewhere in between, like stuck in the middle with you. How many can relate? How many feel like they're stuck? How many feel like the prayers you prayed are not being answered? So seeds you sowed are not being blessed. It's like, it's like you can't go forward. You can't go back. He's not to your left. He's not to your right. There's a wall of brass. There's gates all around you. Can anybody relate? Poor Joshua. 
Here Moses up there seeing the glory of God, God's right and stuff, and telling Moses stuff. He comes down, his face is aglow, and Joshua's inside of the mountain, didn't bring enough food, didn't know Moses was going to stay 40 days, probably about to starve to death like me, looking for Parksville Inn to go eat. And all of a sudden, Moses comes down the mountain, and Joshua says, Moses, I hear the sound of war. And Moses said, no, watch this. It's not the time, it's not the sound of war, and it's not the sound of people in trouble calling out to me. Watch that. That's usually where we rest. There are few in-between spots with God. Either you're right there in the, in the battle, and you're delivering blows, and you're feeding the enemy, or you're under attack and you're discouraged and you're ready to give up. Can anybody relate? One day, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. 30 minutes later, he's at the side of a creek wanting to die. Jonah was in the same boat, saw God move in a special way. God sent him to the city. I don't want to go, finds himself in the belly of a whale. I'd lot rather be on the mountain calling down fire than being with guts, fish guts and slime in the belly of a whale. Can anybody relate? But sometimes in the valley he restores our soul. It's in the low places of life that we realize how close God is and how much he really cares about us. And he really does. So all of a sudden Moses said, no, it's not the sound of war. It's not the sound of intercession. It's the sound of playing. We have a nation right now that plays. And I will not be negative or critical, but I've been watching the trial of Dr. Murray and concerning Michael Jackson. I've been, I've been, I've been keeping up, as many, some of you may or may not, may not be keeping up. But the news tells us every day what Mr. Murray is doing. Every night, Mr. Murray has been at a bar somewhere eating and drinking and partying. I mean, it's like, it's like life goes on. No matter what's going on in your life, just go party. Just go get a drink. Just go do drugs. Just go, just go sleep around. We are not a church that parties. We are a church that is sober, vigilant, watching for the second coming of the Lord. We're focused. We don't need little miracles every day to keep us going. What he has done for us already is good enough. If he never does another miracle, I'll praise him and worship him because I'm not in the gutter. I'm not going to a devil's hell. I'm not bound by drugs. I'm not bound by alcohol. I have a healthy marriage, healthy children, and a church that that loves me most of you that my beautiful my jacket pastor jeff you got this for me for my birth one you know and becky you got you know ron got the shirt it's not too late i mean i turn the whole month of november to my birthday too if you want let's do this moses comes down gets an attitude Throws the calf in the fire, burns it, grinds it to pieces. Throws it in water, makes 3,000 people drink it. Raise up an army. They take their swords. They kill 3,000 people. The next couple of verses, all of a sudden, God said, Moses, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. These people are hard-headed. They're worthless. I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to let you live, and I'm going to raise up another generation and you're going to be that, you're going to be that generation. I'm going, to, I'm going to raise these people up. Moses began to remind God of God's integrity, of God's promises, of God's prophecies. Well, God, remember what you promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, all the promises that covenant belong to me. I am blessed going in and blessed going out. I am blessed laying down. I'm blessed getting up. I'm blessed in every area of my life. And I have the ability to bless him because I am blessed. And Moses began to remind God, well, God, don't you remember? Do you want all the world to say that you brought your people out of Egypt miraculously and then you destroyed them in the wilderness? Do you want that kind of reputation? And Moses begins to intercede. And you've heard me teach it. Exodus 32 and 32. There's a slash and a semicolon. And there, there were several pages of a handwriting that they've never interpreted from that day till now. It's Moses' handwriting, where Moses, the glossolalia phenomena, which is praying in tongues, writing in tongues, whatever Moses wrote in those few pages, God changed his mind. Can we change the mind of God? Absolutely. He's already a good God. It's not all about changing his mind, but doing whatever it takes to get placed in the right area for God to do what God wants to do in our life. It's all about replacement. It's all about being where you're supposed to be. Love God, hate evil. Do the right thing. Do what God is calling you to do. Let me shift gears on you. This shall be written 
for a generation to come. And the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. It's important you go with me to Matthew, the first chapter. There are four Gospels. One is written to a king. One is written to a servant. One is written to a doctor. And one is written to those that are spiritual. Matthew was a book written to the Jews by a Jew, by a business administrator. He was a physic, he was a financial genius. He traveled with 12 men and Je- traveled with 11 men in Jesus, made sure they had their budgets, everything they needed, take care of the ministry. Matthew begins to share so-and-so birth so-and-so. And I don't know how many of you, every New Year's Eve, you say, I'm going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to read the whole Bible. Where are you? And then, you know, January 1st, you say, you know what? I'm not under the old law, the Old Testament. Eh, I don't need that. I'll start with Matthew. Okay, you get there, Matthew 1. And the first chapter of Matthew appears to be so boring. And I'll tell you what, it's obvious that people didn't have drugs and alcohol in those days because they named their kids the weirdest, stupidest names ever seen. In verse 17, it tells us that from, that from Adam to this generation were 14 generations. And from that generation, the carrying going to Babylon are 14 generations. And the carrying, uh, carrying of Babylon into the time of Jesus are 14 generations. Now, 14 plus 14 plus 14, that's not a trick question, is 42. 42 is a God number. God is not a God of division or subtraction God is a God of multiplication and if you'll take the number six and you multiply it times the number seven six is the number of man seven is the number of God you multiply that you get 42 there's something special about the 42nd generation if I may just for a minute bore you with verse 14 we're going to attempt and I promise you we'll probably slaughter these names but I'll take responsibility for this slaughter. And we're going to count how many generations there are after they were brought out of captivity. So we're going to, I'm going to try to read them, and you're going to have it. So we've got Jeconias. Now, the number we're looking for is what? Speak to me. Everybody, we're looking for 14. It's 14 plus 14. This is the last 14. Are you ready? Jeconias begot Saliathiel. Everybody say one. Saliathiel begot Zorobabel. Two, Zorobabel begot Abuad, and Abuad begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zidok, and Zidok begot Achim, and Achim begot Iliad, and Iliad begot Eliezer, Eliezer begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob. How many? And how many are we looking for? And Jacob begot Joseph. And Joseph begot Jesus. How many? I thought this was be 14. You can write all these down one at a time. You can count it frontwards, backwards, sideways. You're not going to come up with 42. There's only 41. Because there was a generation that had not yet been created. And how was that generation created? In the garden, God created man, said it's not good for him to be alone, put man to sleep and cut him and took from him a rib and, cre- and, and, and built a woman. And God said, the two shall be together. What I brought together, let no man put asunder. That was in a garden. On a cross, man cut God. And the blood that fell from the body of Jesus that day hit the dirt of Calvary. And there was a filthy, disgusting Roman soldier there that was responsible for driving the nails in the hands of Jesus. And he saw the crucifixion. He saw that blood and said, truly, this was the Son of God. And that day there was a birth. That day there was a generation raised up. God said, you're a peculiar people. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, which in times past were not our people, but are now the people of God. We are that generation. 
Isaiah 9 and 6, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Well, Jesus never got married. He wasn't a father. But when he shed his blood, the ingredients of a church that was built upon a rock that the, that the, that the, that the builders rejected, a rock, the rock of ages that's higher than I, I believe it's the stone that, 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 that stood the time. I believe it's that stone that David put in his sling that he slinged it towards the enemy. I believe the power of God got a hold of that and said this represents a church that I will raise up out of darkness into marvelous light and I will bless them in every single area of your life. You are that church. You have a reason to celebrate. You have a reason to shout, a reason to praise. We have 11 minutes and we can do this. There is no better example in the Bible to live your life and to watch the life of Job. Moses kills a soldier, goes into hiding for 40 years. Somewhere on the backside of the desert, he meets Job. Moses writes the book of Job before he writes the book of Genesis. In a chronological order, the book of Job is first. Before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Psalms 91, Moses wrote the book of Job. Job was a very wealthy, powerful man that without a Kenneth Copeland tape, without a Lee University, without Daystar or TBN, without a church of the harvest or a church on the rock, Job connected with God. We don't know how he connected, but he loved God. He had 10 kids that every once in a while on their birthday, they partied. So 10 times a year, Job would, would create a sacrifice and offer to God in case his kids did something stupid while they were partying. Job was a man after God's own heart. There's a place somewhere in the heavenlies. I believe it's where Jacob fell asleep, saw the, the stairway leading to heaven. I believe there's a place there where demonic spirits and, and angels of God clash. I believe there's a battlefield there. You understand there's only one devil. I doubt he's ever been to Cleveland. He's been to Udawal, but he's never been to Cleveland. <laughs> he's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He cannot know everything, be everywhere. There's only one devil. And right now, his focus is not to take you out. His focus is to make sure that Jesus does not put his foot on the Mount of Olives and there's a resurrection and the rapture takes place. That's what the devil's all about. So there's a place where the enemy tries to confront God. There's a place where the enemy tries to accuse you of all your failures and all of your mistakes. And since we're, just, we're such a young church, I'll go ahead and, and share this with you. There is a judge. The eternal God of heaven, he sets and he determines black and white, right and wrong, good and evil. And there is an accuser of the brethren and it's Satan and he lies and he goes before God and he tries to lie and he tries to slander and he tries to destroy us. Let me tell you something. You are not strong enough to stand against the devil on your own. You're not strong enough to defeat the enemy on your own. Some of the greatest of God's champions tried to take the devil on and they lost. But I'm here to tell you, you cannot afford a lawyer. You cannot afford representation. So one has been appointed you. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of the living God. He is your lawyer. He ever liveth in the portals of heaven making intercession for you. And when the devil makes all these accusations, my lawyer, Jesus, says, Your Honor, may I examine the evidence against my client. The devil reluctantly has to give it up. He has to give it to my attorney. My attorney takes all of the things that are written against me, all the negatives, all the hurts, all the wrong words, all the wrong thoughts, all the wrong deeds, all the things that I ever did or ever will do, and my attorney holds it against his chest. And somehow when he holds it against his chest, there is a miracle. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood. And when, the, and when my attorney gives the evidence back to the judge of heaven, God of heaven looks at the devil and says, I don't know what you're trying to pull. This evidence is not admissible. It's covered in blood. There's nothing legible here. There's nothing credible here. There's nothing that you can charge this person with. And I tell, I tell you that he's innocent, he's free, and we leave the presence not just free, but we leave the presence with our attorney. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I'm his own. He doesn't live in heaven. He lives with me. <laughs> point I'm making the devil told God got him blessed I can't touch him there's a hedge we would well 
to learn. There's a hedge around our children. There's a hedge around our marriage. There's a hedge around our home. There's a hedge around our heart. There's a hedge around our mind. I can't touch him. Let me mess with him. Let me take his money. Let me mess with his kids. Let me affect his 401k. Let me get his stuff. And God said, do what you want. Don't take his life and don't take his wife. How important God sees marriage and that relationship. And the wife said some crazy things. The wife said, Job, you have made God, you have ticked God off. You, you, he is mad at you. You may as well flip him off and let him strike you down with lightning. But you see, you hadn't been the day before where 10 coffins were lowered to the ground and every one of your children died. You got a report that all your wealth was wiped out and all your savings was gone. You didn't get that report. You don't know what you'll say when bad things happen to you. You don't know what you'll declare when the bottom falls out of your boat because bad things happen to good people. We're not immune from that. We are in this world. We're not of this world, but we're in this world. It rains on the just and on the unjust. And there have been bad things that have happened to us. But the song says, cheer up my brother. We'll know all about it. That there will come a day when God will explain to us why we went through what we went through. What kind of light that we were shining. What kind of door we were opening. What kind of people we were touching. That day will come. Job had three friends. I use that word loosely. All three of them had an attitude why he, why he was messed up. One said, your confession is out of order. And there was a generation of confession. There was a time in the church where we confessed everything. Blab it, grab it, see it, be it, name it, claim it, all of that. One of them said, your theology is out of order. My Lord, how many times have we been there? Pre-rapture, post-rapture, mid-rapture, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. I'm pan-tribulation. I just think everything's going to pan out okay. I just have a feeling. Pre, but I'm, going to, I'm going to pray for pre, but be ready for, for post. Hello? If we go to the tribulation, he, he will be there with me. He said he'd never leave me or forsake me. So Job is going through everything a guy can possibly go through, and he's saying, though God himself slay me, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to keep my faith where it belongs. And these three friends, oh, the last, the last friend, oh, Job, you got spiritual pride. You just need to admit you got a secret sin in the closet. You've done something, and you just won't admit it. And, and, and trying to get us to confess things that we didn't do. The false memory syndrome. My dad and mom didn't molest me. Why in the world would I go to an altar where they, they tell me to confess? Hello, help anybody? And Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And the worms destroy this body. In my flesh, I shall see God. He's not on my left. He's not on my right. He's not in front of me. He's not behind me. But he knows the path that I take. And when he is done trying me, I will stand as pure gold accounted for the kingdom. I'm going through a test. This test brings a testimony. Testimony brings victory, healing, and hope to others. There's a reason why you're going through the stuff you're going through. There's a reason why your formulas are not working. We trust him no matter what happens. The bottom falls out of our boat. We still trust him. There was the fourth man. Pastor, I wish I had time to talk about the fourth man. There was another friend, the fourth guy, young guy, maybe Brad's age. Here's what he says. I'm young. You're old. I've been taught to keep my mouth shut. I've been taught to honor my elders. I've been taught to be respectful. But there's something on the inside of me that's on fire. There's something on the inside of me I cannot contain. That song says, sit down. I can't sit down. I just got religion and I can't sit down. There's something on the inside of me that will not shut up. It will not be quiet because I know what can wash away my sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I know what God has done for me. And I thank him for the altar at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. I found him at a mourner's bench where I knelt down to pray. And since then... This is my story. This is my song. I'm born of the Father. I'm a child of God. I'm going to be raptured out of here. I'm going to leave this place and go to a place called heaven and live with Jesus forever. If that doesn't excite you, you just slap yourself. Amen. 36 and 26. Do we have it? Job 36 and 26. 
this young kid, this new kid, this, this new generation, behold, God is great, and we know him not. And neither can the number of his years be searched out. For he make it small the drops of water, they pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do distill and drop upon man abundantly. Also, can any understand the spreading of the clouds or the noise of his tabernacle? Look at Pastor just for a minute. Paul said, What? Do you not realize the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and you are the tabernacle of the Most High? This young man gives us a science lesson. And Mikey talks about rain. I am not smarter than a fifth grader. We proved that coming back from Knoxville, didn't we, Jackie? I couldn't spell it. Was it Philadelphia? I kept getting wrong, or Minneapolis. But she knew she was on it, wasn't she? Here's what this young man says. How many you actually know the scientific fundamental principle how rain works? Anybody? All the fifth graders? This is not a trick question. I'm not going to call you. I mean, I know how, why it rains. I know why. Anybody? Okay, let me tell you. The sun, S-U-N, attracts vapors. Lakes, rivers, streams, creeks, creeks, ponds, oceans. These vapors rise up in response to the sun's heat like a magnet. And as these vapors rise up, clouds are formed. These clouds cool, condensate, lower, and rain begins to fall. Because what goes up will come down. It's a scientific principle that God established in creation on day two. And so what happens, you ever put gas in your car and seen those vapors? You ever on a hot day, look in the lake and see the vapors? Those vapors are, not the gas, but those vapors are rising up in response to the sun. And rain is very, very important. How many knows that rain is pretty important? How many knows that if Alaska does not get a certain amount of rainfall, millions of salmon will not make their way back in the Kenai, the Sodotna River, and, and, and lay their eggs? It's got to rain a certain amount of inches. In the Chesapeake Bay, there in Crisfield, Maryland, I was there the, the week the, the crabs came in. I don't know if you've ever witnessed it. It is, it is unbelievable. That week, every, that week, everything's crab. Crab cake, crab coffee, crab pancake, crab biscuits. I mean, they, they serve crab like Forrest Gump. There's, there's tender shrimp and there's sock and that, all, all, the, all the different crabs. And, 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 and it's unbelievable. But you know what? If it doesn't rain a certain amount of rainfall, the crabs won't come in the bay. In Hawaii, they measure rain by the feet. And Honolulu gets eight feet a year. And if they don't get a right amount of rain, the pineapples won't harvest. That's how important rain is. Here's what the Bible says. Well, let me illustrate what the Bible says. When I count to three, I would like everyone in this section of the church to say glory. I want you to say it loud enough to shake that ceiling tile. I'm going to be watching. Here, I want you to say glory, and I want you to say it like you mean. I want you to say it like you think that light tray is going to fall down on Brian's head. In this section, I want you to say praise the Lord. And I want you to say it to such a degree that you wake up Jackie in the front row taking a nap. This section over here, the youth section, I want you to say hallelujah. And I want you to know you're expressed in the name of God, and I want it to ring. Are you ready? You want to practice? What are you guys going to say? Oh, my God, that was... How many of you go to a football game, Louisiana fans, and sit there, score? <laughs> if it's convenient, block that kick. No, we go to, we go to a ball game and kill him! Yes! Take him out! <laughs> what changes when we come to church? We look like we've been sucking on green persimmons. Girls got their faces painted on upside down. The ushers look like pallbearers. And at 12 o'clock noon, we race out of this parking lot to beat the Baptist to Outback. 
We look like we died four days ago. We just don't have the grace to lay down somewhere and let somebody bury us. I'm telling you I'm a child of God and I've got a reason to praise him. I get a reason to worship him. He brought me out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, put a new song in my mouth. I rejoice in that. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? This section you're going to say, no, not you, that section. This section, your glory. What are they? What are they? What are you? Are you sure? I give them glory. I give you glory too? Two glories. Glory to glory, okay? And here we've got, yes, we've got the, what do we got over here? Count of three, you ready? I want them to be able to hear it in the children's ministry. What in the world do you guys do? You ready? One, two, three. Now that's the sound of a shout. Where did that go just now? In the carpet? In the padded chair? No, it went up as vapors towards the sun of righteousness with healing in his wings. And as the clouds go up, the blessings begin to fall. I said when the clouds go up, the blessings begin to fall. You need a miracle, build a cloud. You need a healing, build a cloud. You need a breakthrough, build a cloud. Stand where you're in your desert, in your dry place, begin to build a cloud and praise him and worship him because he's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. I need you to be seated just for a minute. I want to show you something. Can one man make a difference? David did. Can one man make a difference? Jonah did. Can one man make a difference? Moses did. Hold on, just a minute, Pastor Jeff. You may feel like that your praise is not that significant, not that powerful, but to God, it's important. The power of agreement, the power of one. I'd like all the girls in the building to help me. I'd like to take your hands and do this with me. I hear the sound of rain. Like a gentle April shower. April showers bring May flowers. Guys, will you put those rough callous hands together and join me? Oh, a little depth. A little bass. A little resonance there. A little stability turning fathers to children, children to fathers, men being the father of their house, being the, being the head of that house. Now do this with me, Olive's house. It's beginning to rain. Hear the voice of the Father. Praises go up, power comes down. Praises goes up, power comes down. And when you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, don't let the urge within you seem to disappear. What do you do? You praise the Lord because he can work through those who praise him. You praise him in the middle of a bad marriage. You praise him in the middle of a bad menopause. There's nothing good about menopause. You praise in the middle of a trial, a storm, a bad report, a report from a doctor, a report from a lawyer, a report from a strange wife. Prophetically, I will not be here tomorrow. I will praise my way out of this slump. I will get unslumped. I will get out of this pit. I will get out of this valley. How will I do it? The word says, in everything, give him thanks. If you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. You can take this world, this wealth, this riches. I don't need this game. It's my desire to worship him. Is that your desire this morning? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You are in a storm. It's a bad storm. Things are moving. Things are, things are coming loose. It's a tough time. It's tight. There's a wall the enemy's tried to erect. There, there are threats he has made. And you're caught up in the middle of it. 
Today you saw a glimmer of hope. Today in the worship you touched the heart of God. In the words something encouraged you. I want to tell you something. You're a shout away from a miracle. You're a shout away from a breakthrough. You're a shout away from a healing. He healed 10. One came back and thanked him. As we begin to reflect on the things that God has already done for us. The fact that we're in this building alive is a miracle. Many of us over-medicated. Many of us put way, way too much Xanax and way too much Valium. We should be dead. Many of, many of us under the, under the influence should have crashed, should have wrecked, should have burned. Many of us, because of drug deals, should be serving serious time in federal prison. But we're not. Because before you and your mother's womb, he knew every smile, he knew every grin, he knew every chuckle, he knew every laugh. He made you to laugh. He made you to enjoy life. He said, come unto me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. The two drugs I want you to walk in constantly. I'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's your high. And I'll give you the peace that passeth all understanding. That will keep you mellow. And if you'll be filled with my spirit, you won't have to drink wine or alcohol or shoot or snort or snuck. Suck. I'll let my flavor flow through you and you will taste and see that I'm good and I have good things to offer you're in a storm you're in a pit the sun hasn't shined in many days and all hope that this marriage would be saved that this financial would be saved this ministry would be saved all hope was lost and that's where you're at today I'm not the angel of the Lord but I'm a child of God I'm here to tell you hold the fort there is hope there is a breakthrough on the horizon. There stood by me this day the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whose I serve and who I belong to. And he told me, weeping endures for a season, but joy comes in the morning. I will not embarrass you. Jesus never gave a public altar call. He never had anybody repeat the sinner's prayer. We've taken stuff, places it probably never needed to go. I will not embarrass you, neither will staff. The sound crew have their heads bowed in prayer, as always. Pastor Hank, I'm in a storm. And this morning at 9 a.m., I was not sure that I'm going to survive this storm. I'm sick, and they can't find out why. i got things in my body that are eating organs and, and, and tearing me up. Things going wrong in my life financially. At 9 o'clock this morning, I was in despair. But today there is hope. Today something has touched my heart. Something touched my spirit. Don't, don't embarrass me. I want you to pray with me and agree that I get the breakthrough I need. If that's where you're at, put your hand up. Put it right back down. Put your hand up. Put it several, 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 several. Now, Satan is a liar. And he wants to make us think. When we are paupers, when he knows himself, we're children of the king Pastor Jeff can you sing that is a liar he wants to make us think oh, as you feel God's presence would you just put your hand up to him quickly 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 that we're children of the king hallelujah so lift up the mighty shield of faith for the battle must be won we know Jesus Christ is risen, and so the work's already done. Sing it with me. Praise, Praise the Lord. He can, he can work, work through those, through those who praise Him. Praise oh, lift that hand up. Say, God, come here. I trust you. I need you. Can we 
we sing it again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now praise you begin to come from your mouth. Thank you, Jesus. body what your spirit knows tell your heart what your spirit knows tell your mind what your spirit knows I am free